on the book of Galatians. Uh, two things that might surprise you uh, is, firstly, uh, we won't be covering the entire book, at least not in this initial series. And secondly, we won't be going through it in order. Uh, it makes perfect sense, usually, to begin at the beginning of a book and to work your way through to the finish, but occasionally there might be good reason to not start at the beginning, as I'm choosing to do today. And with respect to the book of Galatians, it's actually towards the end of the book. It's in chapter 5 that we find out what is actually happening there. What has prompted Paul to write a really angry letter to the churches of Galatia. And actually, it all has to do with circumcision. Circumcision, as you probably know, is the surgical removal of the foreskin from the penis. As a cultural practice, where it is practiced, it is commonly a procedure performed on newborn males within a few days of birth. Circumcision has very great significance in the Bible. Using our language, we'd say that circumcision was given to Abraham as a sacrament. A sacrament being a physical thing that has a spiritual meaning, an effective seal and sign of a promise of God, it is the sacrament of entry into the people of God, the people belonging to God. In one sense, then, actually, baptism for us is the, is the analogical sacrament in the Christian church, the sacrament of entry into the people of God. And indeed, that analogy is made in Colossians chapter 2. But why? I mean, I mean, if you're going to pick a, pick a sacrament of entry, why circumcision? I, I mean, it's, it's all a bit confronting, really, isn't it? I mean, you've probably already heard me use language this morning that you weren't expecting to hear in church. I, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're male or female. Uh, either way, it's confronting. It might be confronting in different ways if you're male and female, but it's confronting. Why? Circumcision. Well, God's covenant with Abraham, his binding promise, God's part of the deal would be that Abraham would be fruitful. He would be the father of many nations. Circumcision, then, is a sacramental act of dedicating to God the means of reproduction procreation. Sexuality, or, or, or indeed masculine sexuality in Abraham's case, is thus set apart for God's exclusive use, for God's purposes alone. That's Abraham's part of the deal. So then, from Abraham on, uh, who, who lived hundreds of years before Moses and the Exodus and the giving of the law, from Abraham on, circumcision was an essential and compulsory part of belonging to God. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. 
any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Um, this all seems fairly straightforward, and, and circumcision from that time on became an inherent part of uh, Jewish practice and cultural identity. Um, circumcision actually is not actually mentioned a very great deal in the rest of the Old Testament canon, except actually, interestingly, in the book of Jeremiah. And in that book, Jeremiah's prophetic oracles make a distinction between, on the one hand, circumcision in the flesh and circumcision of the heart. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. Jeremiah 9.25, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness uh, in, uh, in uh, sorry, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For these na- for all these nations are really uncircumcised. And even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. It would therefore appear that circumcision in the flesh, so to speak, was always fully intended to be sim- to, intended by God to be symbolic, because all si- sacraments are symbolic, symbolic of circumcision of the heart. Um, symbolic how? Well, I mean, that which is most sensitive, that which is most private and personal, all covering and protection cut away. Uh, All protection and covering gone and now exposed, vulnerable, vulnerable before the Lord, sensitive to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. Vulnerable to the Lord, sensitive to the Lord set apart for the Lord. That's the meaning of the sacrament. Yet and nevertheless, as, as the history of national Israel so painfully presents, the actual surgical procedure in the flesh did not create the intended spiritual condition in the spirit. Circumcision had become a, 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 a mere cultural identity marker, irrelevant to a person's spiritual condition. Although what I have just said, if I it was ever to say that in front of a Jewish audience, would be utterly incendiary. Go, go out of their brains. I'd, I'd be persecuted if I said such a thing to a Jewish audience. Mere cultural identity? Cultural identity was everything. And furthermore, more to the point, they make no distinction between cultural identity and spirituality. So, 
um, these things are one. And three things, three things uh, mattered above all. Authentic spirituality was obeying the law, Torah obedience, obeying the Bible. And this is what that looked like in practical terms. Circumcision of all male infants on the eighth day. Sabbath keeping every week. And maintaining the food laws given in the law of Moses, eating nothing unclean. And if you, you'll see, if you look for it, that all of those issues are raised in the book of Galatians. With that background then, circumcision emerges uh, after the day of Pentecost, and it emerges um, quite quickly as an issue amongst Christians in the book of Acts. As the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ begins to spread out from Jewish synagogues, and as Gentiles start to hear about Jesus and to come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not long before there's a conversation about whether or not uncircumcised Gentiles need to be circumcised as part of their initiation into God's people and thereafter made to keep kosher in everything else as well. The, the opening of the 15th chapter of the book of Acts begins like this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This message brought about a sharp dispute in the church of Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with others, to go to a church council meeting in Jerusalem in order that the question might be settled. And at this conference, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Um, Perhaps two things to notice uh, from that church council. Uh, firstly, um, the, for the early Christians, this was a matter concerning salvation. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Could an uncircumcised person be saved? Well, Peter, addressing this first concern, got up and said, Brothers! You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. 
In, in other words, the, the, the self-evident outpouring of the Holy Spirit, evident in signs, wonders, miracles, in the gift of intelligible and unintelligible prophetic praise and worship, they are clearly already saved. Believing in Jesus is being saved. Believing in Jesus is being saved by grace, Peter is saying. Just, just as, that, that, as that woman was at, at, at Simon the Pharisee's house. That brings us to the second concern that some Christians had. And that was the question about the law of Moses. Now, in fact, circumcision wasn't mentioned in the law of Moses except in the context of the Passover feast. Uh, Anyone and everyone could eat of the Passover feast. Whether or not they were ceremonially clean, it didn't matter. Everyone could eat of the Passover feast. But you had to be circumcised first. Any foreigner residing in any of the land, uh, in any of the towns who wanted to join in, in, they, they could do so just as long as he and all the males of his household are first circumcised. No uncircumcised male was ever allowed to eat of it. Exodus 12. But, but for many Christians, the question of circumcision was, was, was not only a question about salvation, but also a question of about how believers in Jesus related to the law of Moses, with all of its ceremonial as well as ethical and legal demands. Peter, as we have already seen, made the key observation. The history of the nation of Israel was a history of failure, a people unable to keep the law of Moses, a yoke too heavy for their necks in all of its ethical, legal, financial uh, demands and commands, let alone ceremonial demands. And so the new believers would not be burdened by rules except to be advised that they would do well if they avoided certain things. In conclusion, neither concerns about salvation nor worries about cultic purity should necessitate Christians of pagan or Gentile origin getting circumcised. Phew. Just in case you're worried about this, two-thirds of this sermon is introduction. We're going to look at the text actually just right at the end. So yes, this is all introductory comments so that we understand a very difficult text. Gentiles don't have to get circumcised. Great! However, in the very next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul circumcising a new convert convert and a new recruit, Timothy. Why? Because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, verse 3. In other words, Paul circumcised Timothy not because of concerns about Timothy's salvation, nor for the sake of ritual purity, but rather for the sake of mission, mission strategy. It would have been a stumbling block to the message if 
their Jewish audience knew that Timothy was uncircumcised. Circumcision necessary? No. In this context, strategic? Yes. This is all necessary background for our text today from the book of Galatians. What is happening in Galatia is similar to things that have happened before in Antioch and in Jerusalem, but not the same. It's a different argument. From our text today, we learn that certain Christians had spread a message around that had had a powerful effect on these new Gentile believers, and they were getting circumcised in response to this new teaching. But it wasn't a teaching about salvation, as it was in the book of Acts. It was a teaching about justification. Now, this is a distinction. The distinction between salvation and justification, that can be a little bit difficult for us. The book of Galatians is a book about the gospel, but it is not a book about salvation. The words saved and salvation do not appear in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a book about the gospel, and it is a book about justification. The book is peppered with words on justification. This isn't quite as obvious um, uh, um, in English as it is in Greek, because in Greek they all look the same. But in English we have to divide them into words that look like justify and words that look like right. So righteousness and right words and justify and justice and, and, and um, justification words, in Greek they're all the same, they all look the same. It's really easy to see that this is all fitting together. Galatians is about, um, about, about justification and justification is about righteousness. In fact, the better word for justification is rightification. Galatians is about rightification, and rightification words appear some 12 times in the book. This letter is not about being saved by grace, although in fact we are saved by grace, Paul doesn't say it, in the book of Galatians. Rather, it is a book about being justified by faith. Now, we might find these distinctions a little bit confusing uh, but from the point of view of the Jewish mindset, salvation and justification were clearly entirely separate issues. They knew that they'd been saved by grace and by grace alone. Uh, if they had any doubt about whether they'd been saved, all they need to, look, to do was to look down and say, yes, I'm no longer in Egypt. I'm no longer in the land of slavery. Why? Because God has saved us by grace, leading us up, up from the land of slavery, up from the land of the Egyptians. Because we were good and impressive and nice? No. But rather because God, by grace, was keeping his promises to our ancestors, the patriarchs. Of course we're saved by grace. By grace, him leading us into the promised land, a land we did not deserve or work for. But now that we are saved, how might we live so as to be right before God? 
That's the justification question. What does a righteous person look like? Someone who lives right before God in the land. Someone who is righteous, someone who is justified. So this is not a question about salvation, but a question, question, if you like, about maintenance. How do I maintain godliness now that I'm God's person living in God's land? Or to put this in our language, what does authentic spirituality look like in practical terms? Now, um, I fear I may not have. Con- I, I, I fear that some of you may not yet be confused. So, uh, uh, just to make it even more confusing, when theologians talk about justification they're talking about a very particular thing, which they define as follows. Justification is God's action pronouncing sinners righteous in his sight. It is a matter of our being forgiven and declared to have fulfilled all that God's law requires of us. Justification is... Um, when theologians talk about it, as the popular saying goes, justification is, uh, is God saying it's just as if you never sinned. The, the doctrine of justification says that we're justified by faith and by faith alone, meaning that we're right with God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his son, trusting in his work on our behalf. That work he did for us on the cross dying there in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. Now, theology is an academic discipline, and that means that theologians are very careful that whenever they use the same word, they use it in the same way. Uh, these are, this is technical language. Um, the authors of the Bible were under no such constraints. The justification words, justify, righteousness, justified, etc., etc., they can be used quite differently depending on context, and they are. Paul, for example, uses um, the justification words differently here to how he uses them in Romans, and in both places very differently to how James uses them in his letters, letter. The question must be then, of course, how is Paul using this rightification language here and now in Galatians. And something that will help us to understand as we go through this book is to see time and time again that this book is drenched in slavery language and in spirit language. Slavery talk, spirit talk. Our passage for this week begins with, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Indeed, Paul has just been telling us uh, in chapter 4 a story about slavery, a story about a free woman and a slave woman. 
But he makes the connection in this first verse of chapter 5. This is the point of my slavery story. You are now free. Freed from slavery by Christ. And then he hammers home his conclusion. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul is saying that the work of Jesus on our behalf actually sets us free from the slavery of having to obey the law of Moses as the maintenance program for right-living people, the people of God in God's presence. And that's, that's astonishing. That's incendiary. I mean, you can just imagine the howls of protest. This is an attack on the authority of Scripture. There it is in black and white in the Bible. Genesis 17.13, my memory verse from Saturday school. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That's what we sang. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off. From his people, he has broken my covenant. As God's people, we obey the Bible. Just as you can likewise hear the indignation when Jesus forgave the woman who'd led a sinful life. This, 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 this human being <laughs> thinks he can dish out God's forgiveness. That's completely unbiblical. Show me a prophetic precedent. I'm not saying that people who use such language, authority of Scripture, unbiblical, I'm not saying that people who use such language are necessarily wrong, nor am I lampooning or caricaturing anyone who appeals to the authority of Scripture or to what's biblical in our debates and controversies today. Heaven forbid. However, I am trying to prepare all of us for how shocking Galatians can be. For Paul is teaching us that we, God's people of the new covenant, have a qualitatively different relationship to the written word as compared to the people of the old covenant. The the Bible is the schoolroom of God, the authentic schoolhouse of God, revealing the mind of God. But it's there to point us to Jesus because Jesus is the teacher. God does not want us to obey the Bible. 
Rather, the Bible wants us to obey Jesus. Almost indistinguishable most of the time, but actually if you don't get that critical difference, you're dead in the water. It's absolutely key. So then, Christ sets us free from slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to sin? Yes, absolutely. That's right. It is perfectly true that Jesus sets us free from slavery to sin. But that's not what Paul is talking about. That's not what he's talking about in the book of Galatians. Christ sets us free from slavery to the law, to Torah obedience, in order that we might be free to live by the Spirit. For it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and not through the gift of the law, nor through the sacrament of circumcision, as good and wonderful as those things are, it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have the very thing that circumcision pointed to, sensitivity in our hearts to God. Sensitivity in our hearts to God. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yeah, that last phrase requires some explanation, doesn't it? Um, And uh, uh, the phrase is literally... Uh, verse verse 12, and I wish the ones inciting rebellion amongst you would cut themselves off. That's what it says literally. Uh, um, It's a very difficult verse to translate. You can see this for yourself by going to Bible.com and bringing up uh, Galatians 15, 12, and then asking it to give it to you in every English translation. It'll give you about 70 different English translations, and you'll see, oh goodness, they vary, don't they? Lots and lots of different ways of translating this verse. And that's because the key verb, apokupto, can be translated, depending on context, in three different ways. So what Paul is pulling here is a very clever wordplay. The three ways in which this verb can be translated are, firstly, to mean to surgically cut something off. In a general sense, it's a medical word. Uh, Alternatively, uh, it can mean to neuter or castrate. Um, I don't know, that's a veterinary word. Uh, In a religious context, it can mean to excommunicate, to cut someone off from fellowship. You may have noticed already in your reading of the Old Testament that uh, to cut off is frequently found in the Old Testament as a penalty, amongst the severest of penalties. Any uncircumcised male 
who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Cut off from the people, cut off from the land, cut off from the Lord, the God of the living. To be cut off is the severest of God's judgments. Paul is thus making a clever, if confronting, play on words. Those who are appealing to obedience to the written law, circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, food laws, as the correct way of maintaining godliness, as, the, as, as authentic spirituality in practical terms, are in the very severest of dangers. The very severest of dangers. That's the offense of the cross. The, the offense of the cross of which Paul now speaks. What is the offense of the cross? Well, here in Galatians, the offense of the cross to Jewish people, the offense of the cross is that I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Spirit because Christ died, taking upon himself the curse of failed Torah obedience in order to fulfill Torah obedience, in order that the Spirit might be poured out on me. Given that, what does authentic Christian spirituality look like in practical terms? That's where Paul is going. And he starts with this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sensitive, sensitive to the spirit, we, as Paul will now teach us, we are to walk in step with the Spirit. Amen, and the Lord be with you all.